Warning, the following show is intended for mature audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. This whole episode is going to be related to what it is, what opportunities are coming up in the real estate market, what's happening, what are the changes that we're seeing. Uh, we've been seeing a lot of terrible wholesale deals, but yet we are also seeing a bunch of investors buying those terrible wholesale deals, right? Go, so it's investors. been getting... Yeah, well, regardless, I don't know. They make money. I don't. Buy, I guess buying, I, I well, we don't know if they're making money. That classifies you as investor days. You bought something and you somehow made more than a dollar on it. Yeah, you're an investor now. So it, people are buying them up. It's becoming harder and harder to find good deals. It's becoming harder to buy them because you have people that are willing to overpay at all times. So you know, it's a real issue. So that's exactly what we're going to cover on today's episode. We're going to cover opportunities that we're seeing because guess what? We've been struggling too. You know, 2020 was probably one of our worst years because we had to take a step back and adjust. Um, wholesalers, you know, a lot of them, this caught them off guard. They didn't know which way to go. They didn't know what to do. Uh, sellers weren't selling. Motivation wasn't there. So inventory went way to hell down for retail buyers as well for investors. So, I mean, a lot of changes and we had to readjust our strategy, readjust a lot of things. And as a factor of that, we had to get back into generating our own leads, which we wholeheartedly hate because it's a job in it of itself. Oh, it's also just like not the best at it. Good at it. I haven't done it in forever. So now just trying to adjust to the whole market. Cause I mean, last time we sent out direct two seller campaigns, what? 2016, 2017, maybe like yeah. three, four years ago. So it's like, everything's drastically yeah. changed now. Like there's, there's even less inventory for distress. Now with the whole pandemic thing, there's even less distress for there. Some of the topics that Biden's new stimulus plan is going to take that even further out and to where it's like, yeah, it's, it's difficult. Um, and then you just have the drastic amount of inventory and the people moving here, buying everything up to where it's just like, uh, I think, Tim Allums uh, sent us a text message the other day about the amount of inventory in Houston. Yeah, it was like it was they were listening to, or he was having a conversation with somebody out of, um, that lives here in San Antonio, but they have offices in Houston. They have a big company-wide sales meeting. And it said in across the entire metro of Houston, there's only 15 houses for sale. He, and then he- 15 houses? 15,000. Oh. 15,000 houses <laughs> uh, for sale. And- He's like, man, I will go back a year. I had a conversation with another agent that inventory was actually ticking up in Houston in 2019 and or this time last year. And they had an average of 30,000 houses on the market. And now they're at 15,000. When you look at like a sales volume of something of Houston, when there's like, I don't know how many million, 3 million people or something like that, 2 million people, like that is not very many houses at all. When you talk about a hit city that size, or it's just like nobody's selling. And then what is it that's taking people why aren't they selling? Why are people? Why why are people not moving? I know there's a huge buyer demand, but no sellers. Well, who isn't selling? And know, why aren't they selling? Yesterday, I was uh, talking to Dan Francis, the CEO and owner of uh, Stepstone Realty, and he was telling me the same thing with Austin. He says in Austin, you have um, you have the active listings have gone down by more than half in Austin. Right. Yeah. So, and I was like, I think that's just across the board. It's just that incentive and motivation from sellers to want to sell, to want to move on is not there. And you're seeing it because I think it's a, a lot has to be, I think a lot has to do with the uncertainty in the market 
the volatility that people are just not sure. It's like, yes, I can sell my house, but then what? Like my then job is un uncertain, right? Because you have all this. Are we going to shut down again? Are we not going to shut down? Are they going to do a stimulus? Are they not going to do a stimulus? What's going to happen if I commit to a mortgage? If I commit to a house that's maybe higher payments or something like that, what do we do? You know, if something changes. So I think all that level of uncertainty is going to be resolved and is being resolved right now because we have some, we have, we definitely have certainty with our political climate as far as Biden won. They control the Senate, they control the House, they control the presidency. We know their policies, we know exactly what it's going to be. So I think this year we're going to see real estate, especially in Texas blow up. I think this year real estate is going to go nuts in Texas. I think people are going to be buying houses left and right. Builders are going to be building left and right. Well, you already saw that. Well, then that market everybody put out with like every major metro across Texas, every, almost every class of permits was up by double digits. I think we're up 30% year over year on single family permits. Yeah. So and the number of permits issued in December, like it's a, they're building and they're trying to build faster. And, but I mean, the thing is, is like material costs rising so fast, land caught rice, land prices rising so fast, very hard to get in there and find that, uh, that deal to make it work. Yeah. And also, uh, all the links to the, the Texas market update that John just did and everything, they're going to be in the description after the live, they're going to be in the chat in a little bit. Uh, Miss Kim uh she's going to be putting all these links to the videos that we're discussing in the in the chat so stay pay attention to those but yeah it, it, it's not so let's with that being said let's kind of get into these articles that are making all the headlines so we have biden calls for extending national eviction moratoriums through september of 2021 as part of the 1.9 trillion dollar stimulus i mean it was one of the I saw this last night. I knew I knew it was coming out. Um and I, I remember I talked to him on the phone, you hey, you see uh Biden's new stimulus plan? And no, I hadn't yet. And I told him about the moratorium and the evictions through September. And your first reaction was just like, Really? <laughs> like, dude, yeah, through September this year. And it's like and I thought, like, I don't know what their th plan is here. They're saying, like, oh, we're gonna crush this thing by like June, July. Well, then why September? I'm like, I'm sorry. If you haven't paid a mortgage payment or a, or definitely a rent payment in 18 months, highly doubt you're going to be able to make all that up in three months. If the economy's back up and people are moving around, I don't know if that's their plan or if that's what they're trying to do, but, uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, so, I, I mean, getting to the actual article itself, um, here's what the plan seems to be. There's been a threat of mass evictions tuned to the 10 to 20 million or more taking place within just weeks facing us since summer of 2020. Uh, that's what Eric Dunn, director of the legislation of national housing and law protection. So that's what they're trying to stop, right? Is the mass eviction 10 to 20 million. I mean, that that's, that's an insane amount of people that potentially can get evicted. Beyond extending the evictions and foreclosure moratorium, the incoming Biden administration is also calling on law lawmakers to come up with an additional $30 billion in funding for emergency rental, energy, and water assistance for hard-hit households, plus $5 billion in emergency assistance to people experiencing 
or at risk of homelessness. And then you have uh, Diane Yentel, President and CEO of National Low Income Housing Coalition. Uh, that sounds like it's a, a legit like government corporation. Yeah, but, it does. You know, that, that's coalition. Yeah, coalition. Um, but she said uh, that 55 billion in emergency rental assistance from Biden proposal and the December package plus the two thousand dollar in stimulus checks and expanded unemployment insurance may be enough to cover back rent and utilities and some forward rent. So here's my thing with this article and with extending all this and with all the stimulus, which we're going to be talking about, um, that's coming up is with all of these people getting all this money, right? Getting the stimulus checks, um, an extra $400 a week or whatever that's going to be an extended of unemployment, all of this, where's the incentive to have those tenants or homeowners pay their rent and mortgages when so far what we've been showing, what the government's been showing is that if things don't get better, they'll keep extending. They'll keep giving you, they'll keep throwing. Right? Well, they're taking so, away that incentive to take away that incentive to actually go to work. And it's like, Hey, I can sit here. The government's got me. They're going to pay for all this. Like, cause now reading that it's like, yeah, that's what they're trying to do. That's why it's through September. So the government can come up a way to back pay all these people, all this back rent and everything that's going through, just like just bailing people out. We're like, okay, I understand that. But it's like, you're still not giving them incentive to go back to work. It's like, Hey, you're paying them to stay home. And like, uh, to me, like, especially here in Texas, you see our economy coming back, roaring, ready to go. Uh, traffic's back. There's people working every, I mean, jobs are opening back up. Things are getting back up. Yes. Some people are still being careful because the virus is still out there, but I move around here in Texas, even though we have quote unquote, like the high case volume and stuff like that, hospitals are filling, are, are hitting some levels of capacity. It's like, but we're working through it and people are making money. Our economy is going back. It's not just shutting everything down, saying everyone just stay home or the, the government's got you and making people more and more dependent on government to support them. So where like, I read that and it's just like, dude, just like, no, okay. They had some, no fault of their own. They're out of work and stuff like that, but go find another job, paying them a ton of money for back rent and stuff like that. I mean, to me, it just doesn't make sense. And I don't think it's right at all. I mean, for all these stimulus, all these bailouts, all this stuff, it's like, no, the free economy has a way of working out the waste. So new growth can come up, come up. But if you just feed that old waste, it never goes away. And you incentivize bad habits and um, bad policies of like how things are. So I don't know how that's going to go. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I look at that. We have Brian Pauling saying they won't. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you're meaning that they won't, uh, catch up the payments and stuff like that. Well, that's nothing. I think like you give them all that money. It's like, say they're 20,000, $30,000 behind in rent. You give them a $30,000. I almost bet you. They just say, Hmm, I'm gonna take this $30,000 and move. Right. Like, yeah, I'll have this hit on my credit or whatever it may be, but I'm going to go some, move somewhere else. And like, then your landlord is then now stuck being like, well, shit, uh, I'm still out. So well, unless then, they get it to the actual landlords, uh, I think that a lot of the money is going to hit those people and they're going to run off with it. Well, and then another thing that I'm curious about is, you know, going back to that topic is that you have all these tenants, all these people, they're getting hit. So they keep kind of 
modifying all these things. And and don't get me wrong. I am not saying that there shouldn't be help because it, you shut down the economy. You took people's okay. ability to generate income. I agree, I agree with that. So I, I agree, right? So I'm like, okay, I get it. But now where I'm, I think we're going to see the issue is I think these um, stimulus checks, all this money needs to come with stipulations where it's like, you're going to get this, but you need to show that you're making an attempt to pay your rent. You need to show that you're making an attempt to pay your mortgage. If not, come tax time, you got to give all that money back, right? With penalties or something. Or you got to make it where it's like, look, you're going to get the help, but it needs to go to the right place. I agree. It's right? not just, hey, here's trillions of dollars unchecked, unbalanced. And I mean, there's the same thing with like those PPP loans and stuff like that. You heard the stories of like the Los Angeles Lakers applying for a PPP loan. <laughs> And then it's like, and they just uh, win a well, championship. Uh, yeah, they just won a championship, but then they want to be like, oh, we'll give it back. Or you hear a lot of these stories of people like and taking just taking this money and they didn't need it. It's like it was unchecked, and right. now like they are coming about and they are making some rectifying some of those situations. But it's like lessons like yeah, when you just dump money everywhere free to whenever whoever, it's like there's gonna be a lot of fraud that goes with it. People take it that don't need it. Yeah, but and that's exactly what we even discussed with. Uh with corporations when they were doing like the tax cuts and all these things that's like look i'm all for doing tax cuts and providing more income to companies because then like ourselves right you allow us to have more income we're gonna hire more people you understand because we want to grow but that's where the the incentives need to be at where it's yeah. like hey you're gonna get this incentive but you need to show that you hired people you need to show that you you increase your company size not just your salary not your executive salary. You know, you're increasing the overall company, which cr is creating more work, which is creating more more job opportunities, better economy yeah. for the areas. You know, maybe you're expanding to other cities or you're investing in, an, uh, you know, you're expanding your company to uh, an opportunity zone or something like that to revitalize areas. That's where I think. Well, because a lot of this money that they're like, where's it ending up? Stock market right now. And like, it is at oh, all time 100%. highs and is disconnect so disconnected from what's going on economically. But like that's where the money's ending up. And you look at real estate prices across the country, especially here, like they're going through the roofs. Like that's where that money's ending up. And that's where it's going. I was just uh, the article's not in here, but I just blipped across it. But just the headline caught me that some company that services mortgages or something like that, its parent company was going IPO for five hundred, raising five hundred million dollars. 250 million of it was going to uh, the executive team as payouts, bonuses. Yeah. I was like, wow. And, and it's not a surprise. That's exactly what all these companies are doing. That's exactly what, you know, and that's where I think is the issue with all of these, all of this stimulus, all of these things um, that these, that the government is doing. I think they're being done in the wrong way because they're being done so, there's so much politics that they're discussing and they're not actually solving any issues. So I, I was just thinking about it today on the drive over here where I was like, we've increased our debt this year alone, just, th just this year by an extra $5 trillion, 2020. Yeah, and we're on pace to almost do that again because what did we do last year? We put a $2 trillion CARES Act and the $900 billion Act in December. Right. Like there was $3 trillion, and we're already talking about doing another $1.9. They're saying, well, well, now we need to find another... 50 billion dollars to give to rental assets we need to find all this extra stuff and this is like oh my god 
Exactly. So, I mean, so you have, we're increasing our, our balance sheet tremendously, right? So it's like, okay, so our balance sheet is getting, it, it, our debt is getting nuts. And it's something that I think back to, you know, reading all the Robert Kiyosaki books of uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad and everything where he talks about good debt and bad debt. And here's where my thought was going. I was like, okay, so what do you call it? Bad debt is a good debt is when you get debt on something that's providing you an income or return higher than and you're enough to cover the debt and a profit, right? Usually. I mean, that's what you would want, right? Yeah. So you're getting into debt to acquire an asset that's going to give you income and profit. Bad debt is when you are spending money on something that is just costing you more money. It's not bringing in any more extra revenue or anything like that. So I'm looking at all this and I was like, this is all bad debt that we're getting into because not one of the things that they're doing is investing in a return to well, the all economy. Of it, yeah, to all the of country. it's just like you look at 2008, how they bailed people out. They gave money to a bunch of companies, but they did it in stock. They did it in grants. They didn't loan or they did it in loans. Where they actually generate a positive return off the stimulus package, the $800 billion for the TARP program in 2000, um, 2007, 8, 9, the last recession. But here, this one is just like, here's money. Where's the return come? Well, hopefully when this economy comes back around and it grows the GDP, we can increase tax revenues and we come back. So it's not tied to anything. It's just a, well, let's just hope and pray that this comes back. Like, especially like the bailouts to all these corporations, these loans to the uh, state and local business or municipalities and things like that. Like. None of it's tied to anything. It's right. just like, well, we just hope that this sustains it. And on the backside, we can grow and tax our way out of it. Or it's like, dude, you gave it just willingly to anybody. Like, good luck on getting return on that. Because a lot of it's just ending up in the stock market. Yeah. And, and that's exactly where it is, right? We talked about it a little bit last week of uh, Japan, how they've become, the Bank of Japan became the biggest investor in their stock market. Their yeah. stock market. And crazy. it's like the Federal Reserve is not directly an investor in the stock market but they are right. I mean, all this money, all this, money, oh, renting, yeah. everything is to well, prop you, up the stock market. Well, that's market. when you back, when you back up a bond market uh, and you take all the risk out of those, like where you, cause bonds are safer, lower return, stuff like that. But when they say, Hey, we're going to print a ton of money, bringing yields down and everything like that. They're buying all those bonds up to back up these mortgage markets. Cause that, I mean, the mortgage industry probably would have collapsed in 2008. Uh, or not 2008, and back in March of 2020, if the Fed Reserve had not stepped in and said, we will back up the mortgage market. Because I remember we were trying to get those uh, alone during that time frame with one of our properties. Yeah. And rates for, I mean, they'd return and they they reversed and went backwards so fast, like the points, the equity, everything just tightened up. And then within three weeks, it loosened back up and then the boom took off from there. Um, but that's what it does. When you buy all those bonds, you're taking an asset from somebody, giving them cash for it and pushing them to risk your stuff. So now what do they do with that stuff? When they know bonds are at 1% over 10 years, lower than that, they're like, screw that. We're going to go put it in stocks. Cause I'm going to bet that we grow more than 1% over 10 years in a stock market. So that's why they're not directly buying stocks, but they're, they're right there. And I know that the talks were floated around about them backing up some com some bigger companies, bigger corporations, stock stock prices and buying into those. They didn't do it, I know of, but <laughs> uh, they def the idea did definitely float around. Yeah. So that's back to this whole thing where we talk about incentivizing bad habits and creating what they call those zombie companies, where it's just like you're you're 
company's worthless. It needs to go under so new companies can come up underneath it. But they're like, oh, but the 10,000 people that work for them. And they'll work for the smaller companies that come up to replace the big one eventually. But there will be some pain that comes with it. But you look at the history over the next 10 years, those companies that are created to fill that void are going to be far superior to company that went under if it would have just stayed barely afloat and just kind of been bloat thing that moving around the economy. Yeah, I think uh, the habits, like you're saying, that it's creating on people because this is going on for such a long period of time that it's it's more along the lines of, you know, so now kind of so, uh, touching on the next article. <laughs> that was article the, one, and we are 22 minutes into this. <laughs> well, it, it's going to be heavily, uh, mostly on real estate today because uh, there's a lot going on and there's a lot of um, people struggling right now a lot of investors that don't understand what the hell is going on so we're trying to put a little a better perspective on the opportunities that there are in the market and how the market is shifting and how you need to adjust whether you like it or not because this shit is happening whether you like it or not so you have biden lays out a 1.9 trillion dollar covid relief package with $1,400 stimulus checks. So you add that $1,400 to the $600 that Trump just did. So you got your $2,000 checks right there. And they're upping their, their what do you call it? The weekly Limit. unemployment to $400. So a chunk of the funds, $416 billion, would help launch a national vaccination program with a goal of vaccinating 100 million Americans and reopening schools in the first hundred days of the administration. So that alone right there, you know, if actually done, it, it's going to be good, right? Because if they reopen schools, if they vaccinate 100 million Americans, chances are that the economy starts opening up faster, right? A little bit quicker, people feel yeah. a little bit better, travel picks up, all of those things. He claimed that this plan would lift millions of people out of poverty. That's a bold claim. Rebuild American industries, reinvest in first responders, teachers, and keep essential frontline workers on, uh, on the job. So first of all, you're going to lift millions of people out of poverty. It's that old saying of give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, teach a man a fish. They give a lifetime for a life, right? And that's the stuff that we're seeing here is like all the government keeps coming up with is giving fish, giving fish, where it's like, look, instead of, and again, I'm not against giving people the money or anything like that because if you are being forced to stay home and not work because places are shut down, restaurants are open barely at 50% where it doesn't even make sense, uh, travel is low, all these regulations, all these things are going on. So it's like you're being forced to stay home. Yes, you should be compensated. Something needs to happen, right? Because it's not on you. So I agree with that. But my thing is like, why aren't we investing on keeping these people's skills uh, sharpened, right? Where it's like, you want your stimulus check? You want your weekly um, stipend or whatever that is? Like, cool. But you need to do this course. You need to take this class, right? You need to do something that is showing that you are moving forward with your life and you are learning stuff you understand you're learning oh, you're actually so you're actually talking about treating the cause not the symptom because that's what i see i see that this well, is just a band-aid and what it's actually doing not so much treating the cause but i what i think it's actually doing is creating deeper problems that while right now yes we're all happy 
we're all you know getting checks and everything and it's like woohoo we all yeah. got money no bills don't worry about being evicted don't worry about you know losing your home forget about it you're good there's no problems there what is that creating what kind of mentality is that creating in americans right so that's what i'm more worried about it's not the today is what's going to happen well, when all this i mean that, well, let's say that what you're talking about from either side of the political spectrum is not their end goal they want to gain and control power that's what their job is so if you make people independent from the government they means they don't need the government which means they can't get the big salaries and have as much power and control as they do it's like you're talking about going backwards as a for them so that's why i don't think from either side of the spectrum that isn't their goal like they want you to like that george gammon chart we talked about last week where it's like every time there's a crisis government spending goes way up and then it drops but it never drops as low as it was pre whatever that may be it's the old adage of a never miss an opportunity with or never miss a great crisis what is that yeah never let a good crisis go to waste exactly and i think that's where a lot of this stuff is to where it's like they want people need to be dependent they don't want to treat the causes they want to treat the symptoms that's where like i was i mean at that point i was like i was hoping we had a divided congress uh to where they couldn't just pass billions of dollars and bail out some of these poorly run states that we see people fleeing like your new your your coastal places they're moving central they're moving south um because in those cities or those states are hemorrhaging money because the tax revenue is gone and their people are fleeing so the government's going to come and step and say hey we're just going to give you billions and billions of dollars to make up the loss from you not having the open economy like say texas has because it's not your fault it's like well that is your fault because texas did it why couldn't you do it but now they're going to give them hundreds of billions of dollars, but now their people are leaving. So there goes their tax revenue with it, where you're treating a cause, where you put that Band-Aid over that thing, but you're not treating the cause, which is how the state has been run to this point that's driven people out and the people in power. Yeah. So I was hoping there was going to be that renaissance of uh, getting people out of there, making the forcing changes, starving the beast as far as like cash capital goes, saying, hey, your fault, you were irresponsible, you need to deal with your problems now with the, the administrations that are in they're in favor of like bailing those those places because that's where their bases are so, so that's here, what's frustrating here's my about thing it. with all of this too is that it is creating a culture where right now the small businesses are getting completely destroyed and there and i believe that that's one of the trends that we're going to see this year is small businesses are going to be hammered this year you know, because what I'm seeing is the bad habits that large corporations had are being encouraged and rewarded right now with these policies where you have these massive companies that have been deeply in debt. Right. And they just keep getting bigger in debt. So we have like all these eye buyers. Right. You have. Um, damn it. Open, open door. door perch. They're, they're talking yeah, about like they lose. Uh, approximately like $11,000 per home, right? But they're trying to make it up with all the other back-end stuff that they have as far as, you know, the mortgage side, the title side, and then just raising more capital and raising more capital, you know? And the more capital, is, oh, it's pretty much a Ponzi scheme. But the fact that they can keep raising more capital, it just Open Door is now them, a publicly traded company. Right. Well, that's the quickest way. Now any company can become publicly traded, apparently. And that just increases their, their wealth tremendously and their reach. So you're having these companies that just keep getting bigger. They keep getting more incentives, more uh, bailouts, more shit on a weak foundation, right? On something that does, should not have been allowed. So then 
Oh, so then you have that. You have these companies that are growing like that. They have no risk. They can grow faster because all they need to do is just get big enough where you're too big to fail. And at this point, these companies become billion-dollar companies overnight. Like, it takes absolutely nothing for them to become billionaire in paper, of course, because they don't actually, they're not worth the damn thing. So you're creating this kind of environment that puts out small business owners all the time because they can't afford it. They can't afford to keep up and compete with you. Well, that was the point I wanted to make. And I mean, Star put in here a uh, previous point of like, she agrees with like what you were talking about earlier uh, as far as the money needs to be tied to something. And just be given everywhere. It says San Antonio is implementing programs to teach new skills and keep, keep or and help with job placement. I do remember them a, a program they were coming out to help retrain workers and stuff like that, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, but to your point there, where you're just talking about, that's what uh, I'm worried about. Is you, and we talk about this all the time. It's like it's fundamentally, fundamentally changing the business space to where if you are a conservative business owner, meaning you don't take on excess debt to fund speculative risk. You almost can't compete with the people that are taking out massive amounts of loans and debt and go chasing these speculative risks. But the problem is those companies over the long term, most of them should die off because they took a speculative risk, made a big bet, and they lost. The problem is the government steps in and says, oh, we're just going to fund you to keep going. What that does is that continues to take market share at a, and that company's losing money, not profitable at all, but they're gaining market share taking market share away from the guys that aren't taking these massive risks and taking on these huge debts and stuff like that. So they're changing speculative risk. But I think back to it, even though like, I mean, I was alive, but I was 11 years old, um, where you have the dot com bubbles, then you had the real estate bubbles. You, you yeah. take what is happening now of just like funding, 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 letting all this stuff grow and grow and grow and grow to where at some point it's got to topple where you had all the IPOs in the late 90s and 2000s that were like, none of these companies made money, but their stock prices were going through the roof because they were getting money from somewhere and it grew so large that eventually it collapsed and it fell. 2008, housing. Housing's never going to fall. The money's there for everybody. Housing grew and grew and grew and grew until it didn't and it dropped. So like, my thing is like, eventually will it reset? It's like, but since 2008, we had COVID happened and that should have been a big reset, but they propped up enough stuff to where it didn't, where is it fundamentally changing how you need to operate as a business to where it's almost, you have to take a bet. It's either it's all or nothing in the sense that you just all the way through and you hope that you either make it or when you fail, the government bails you out or something happens in the market that bails you out and not the little guy, oh. little guy's not hurting. So he, or he is hurting, but the government doesn't step and give money to him because his business books don't show that he's hurt as much as you are. Cause like these PPP loans and stuff, it can go towards payroll and it can go towards interest. It can go to a mortgage. It can go towards interest expense and it can go towards office space, utilities. So it's those things like if your business got hit hard because you were taking too much on too much risk, hired too many people, took on too much debt. Government now gives you money to pay for all that stuff because you made too big a bet for several months keeping you alive that much longer when the young, little guy wasn't hurt. So he doesn't get as much money. And, so it and hurts tying him. it back to real estate. I think, you know, this is the conversation that you and I had last night is right now as a real estate investor, why it's become so difficult for a lot of us to invest is because we are used to investing <laughs> in something that makes sense, right? It needs to make money. 
you make money when you buy all, all the traditional things. Right. But right now where the market is shifting to is that you have to become a bigger risk taker. You have to buy a property where it's like, yeah, you know what? There actually isn't a sign of, uh, this being a, a good deal, but I think in four, six months, maybe it's going to become a good deal, right? Or right now it's not right now. If you're lucky, you're maybe breaking even if you had to sell, but you're buying and betting that in six months, by the time you're done, maybe with the rehab or whatever, now it's appreciated enough. So it's kind of getting to where Austin was like a few years ago where people were buying for appreciation, negative cash flow. I mean, it's a coastal uh, right. mentality. So you're looking at that and that's the stuff that we're starting to see, especially here in San Antonio, where I believe if you want to invest in real estate, you're going to have to be willing to take the risk. You're going to have to be willing to have the money in the deal. I had a conversation with a, a, an investor on, um, through Instagram actually. <laughs> And, uh, he's, I don't know, I don't know where the hell he's from California, maybe. And he was asking me, like, he wants to invest in real estate in Texas. And he's like, I don't know. I was thinking Austin or San Antonio, but I, I would like to know a little bit more about the market. And I was telling him, I was like, look, you can still find good investments, but you're going to have to leave money in the deal. You want cash flow? You might have to leave 20% in the deal. You might be buying close to what retail is. Because that's where the buyers are right now. Everybody's buying right now. Wholesalers, if you're a wholesaler and here's, if you're listening, here's a strategy that uh, is going to double your income and it's going to blow you out of the water. Uh, how much money you're going to make this year. Stop wholesaling. Become a real estate agent, find these wholesale deals and put them on the market. Hotel them. Okay. You got to buy the deal. So you got to find some form of, form of private funds and all that. And I did a video recently on how to find private money lenders. So you can see that in the chat, but hoteling at this point is where the money is. You're putting these properties that are dog shit properties. They're properties that there's uh, no way we would even buy them. And people are overpaying 30, 40, $50,000 from what we would buy the property for to buy these properties are falling down. So you have all of this and it's like, what's left? You got to be a risky investor. You got to pick up properties. You got to invest in the long term. You got to be able to pick up homes that, you know, you're like, all right, I'm going to leave X amount of money in it. It's going to cash flow now because of this money. Cash flow is important, right? So you take care of any repairs, stuff like that. And then you're going to get appreciation because let's, let's say what it is with all the stimulus. With all the things that are going on. The way the Fed shows they'll step in and back things up like they didn't do in 2008. And now those, those avenues are there for them to do that. They're yeah. going to do that. The Fed and the government. I mean, the government has shown they don't want a weak economy. Well, I mean, and to your point, too, it's like it's one of the things is you, you have to realize. We talk about this all the time. Realize why you're making money. Where if your lifestyle is hinging on, hey, I'm going to buy this property, take on high interest 10% term debt on hard money, however you're doing it. And my edging strategy is to put it on the market and say you make 20, 30, you kill it. And you're doing two, three, four of these a month and you're making good money, but now you up your lifestyle drastically and you don't have some sufficient savings because now you're hinging on this one strategy that you don't even realize that. And you know, that's why you're making money, but you don't understand the fundamentals of why you're making that money. 
to where all of a sudden the market reverses, things change, buyers come back, and that market strategy is not there. And now you're stuck with two, three, four, five, ten 10 houses on the market, all leveraged debt, hard money loans like that. And you didn't have sufficient savings to cover that debt or the amount to say, hey, I need to drastically drop this price where I can get out from underneath this thing and I might lose $5,000. But you need to still stay. And this thing we talk about, like you get incentivized to take bigger debts and run your business when our thoughts like crap. Or like, if that was a bet you're playing, it's like, you need to, as you're making money, you need to put the majority of that stuff away. And you need to save lots of it and constantly evaluate your cash position, cash position to your cash outflows and say, if I didn't make a sale for six months and I had to drop 5,000 every property, do I withstand that? Like the stress test your business, but I just don't think people have the whereabouts or knowledge or the, the want to know why they're making money. They just know like, Hey, I'm making money. Instagram famous. Look at all these cars. Look at all this money. I'm going to blow up on YouTube, sharing all this stuff. And, uh, well, then, 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 know, then they crash. And lately so, I've been, uh, just messing around more with, uh, with, um, social media and I got on TikTok. I got on, uh, checking out Instagram reels and all that. And the clowns that I'm seeing on there, my God, the kind of nonsense they're spewing. There's this like Asian guy with this annoying ass voice that he's always just talking dumb shit after dumb shit. And everybody's like, oh my God, you're my idol. And it's little kids. I mean, it's like freaking 19 year olds and shit. And and gets millions of views, gets millions of followers, right? And I'm like, that's the problem because that's the shit people are chasing. So we actually have a star here that she asked, uh, what do you see? Who do you see mostly buying these ugly, uh, these ugly homes so high? It's one, it's uneducated investors out of, out of state investors, um, out of the city investors, like from Austin and stuff like that. And two it's people that have the cash. Yeah. There are people that I believe know what the hell they're doing, where they're buying these houses. And the point is that you're no longer buying a flip. This is where you start getting into what we used to call the two-year flip, right? Where you're going to buy these houses. You might do a full rehab depending on the condition of the home. You got to do it so you get a house that you can rent and can cash flow. You're going to hold on to it. And yep. you're going to let that year or two come through, get that massive appreciation, and then you're going to sell Well, I mean, it. that's also, I think, who's buying this stuff is exactly that. It's money coming from out of places, seeing like, hey, analyzing the data, analyzing everything, analyzing the prices. They're like, um, this South Central Texas area or this Texas area or we're at Florida. And like you hear some of these hottest markets, like where are things blowing up and why are they blowing up? To where they're like, look, I'm buying retail. I don't care. I just know I'm going to make, I'm looking for enough cash flow to sustain the investment and I can potentially sell it in three, four, five years, two years, whatever it may be right. when those prices rise. Cause you think about it too. Um, it's like, well, the question to that is like, why don't they just buy retail right off the market ready to go? Like, well, one, you don't know the quality rehab and two, a lot of the stuff isn't rehabbed. It's good enough for today's standards where you still have from Micah countertops, still have some older cabinets, carpet everywhere, but you're paying retail for it to where if you buy something that's distressed and say it's worth 200 needs 80 in repairs and you're buying it for 120, it's like, well, you're still buying retail. Yes. It's your $80,000 that you put into that property. You know where that money went and now you've updated it to today's standards with everything that it needs for top dollar today to where it's going to capture every bit of appreciation for the next 10 years because those styles are still going to be good. To where like you look at the houses built in 2005 are still selling for top dollar today, but in another 10 years, 
like those styles are going to be out because now things haven't been rehabbed in 20 years where you oh. rehab today. It's like, Hey, you're good for 10, 15, 20 years. So I think that's a lot of buying. When it. we used to wholesale and everything, these, uh, ghetto neighborhoods that we used to see, right. Where houses weren't going start put on here. Any, it. <laughs> they weren't going almost anywhere. Now, all of a sudden we go to these neighborhoods and that one house that we went to see, that's like a Frankenstein of a house. Um, you're telling me the ARV and I was like, there's no way in hell. How are the ARVs that high? And it's just, you start looking at what the market is. That's why, why people are struggling right now is because they're looking for the market to be what they want it to be, yeah. not what it is. And you got to take the market where it's at right now. The market has shifted tremendously. It, coronavirus has, oop, did I say that out loud? Shit. I'm sorry, YouTube. I didn't mean to say that bad word. Um, yeah. Censorship is real people. Huh, yeah. <laughs> That's been proven. Yeah, so this, you know, the, this thing that happened, um, has been, has sped up all these things. So now when this all thing first started, the lockdown, everything started, we started tips from the pros, right? Because we wanted to see how they were adjusting. And I remember doing one of the interviews with, uh, Sam Madrid. He's a very big investor here in Texas. He has how much five six properties yeah like over five well between properties. between notes and rental properties he so has over five six he, you know he's a guy that's been around kind of knows his shit and one of the things that he said was that caught my attention was that you know hey i'm actually going to step out of the market this is too unstable i don't understand this i'm stepping out now here's the problem that i see with a lot of investors kind of making the same decision. Oh, I'm stepping out. You know, this is crazy. People are overpaying for homes. People are buying homes that make no damn sense. And they're paying 20, 30, 40,000. We were outbid on one of the properties by 35 grand. It blew our freaking And we mind. only have, we're only putting 25 profit in there for yeah. the whole renovation. Cause I mean, it was a huge renovation. It's a big house, very unique, lots of problems in lots of different areas and lots of neglect. We're like, we just know like, buy those things like yeah. you're gonna find more problems that you can't even see that need to be addressed and you can't do anything but that's about the it stuff right so that's the sh stuff that we know that we understand why because we renovated a ton of houses we know we can kind of get to a point where we can see through walls right yeah. we can see when we see a wall in a certain condition we're like yeah we're probably gonna have to reframe this wall we're probably gonna have some issues with the electrical we're gonna have issues here in the plumbing like we can kind of start seeing through walls because we can see those issues now, whether these people are seeing it or not, they're still buying the houses. Whether they're seeing it or not, they're our competition. They're taking inventory off the market. And what's happening is it creates more scarce inventory, which creates higher prices. So now, while, yes, they might have been stupid to overpay 30 grand, all of a sudden, by the time the rehab is done, they look like geniuses because they probably made some money on it now. Right, because the appreciation. Well, that's right. To go back to like, it's incentivizing bad habits, or like, every the music can't go on forever. Because I bet if uh, you go back to two thousand or ninety eight, ninety nine, leading up to the dot com bubble, you had the same thing happening, just in a different. It rhymed. It wasn't the same thing, but it rhymed. Two thousand eight, it rhymed, and then eventually those people did get punished by the market. But it's like yeah. one of those things. How long can it go? with the way things have been well, or is it is it, they say like the new norm is like well that's is this that's the new my norm? point is that if you're an investor right now sitting on the sidelines waiting for the market to go back to normal i think i i propose this question to you and if it doesn't 
if this is where the market goes, if now, you know, they're like, people always talk about market cycles. Well, you know, cycles, the cycles are broken now. I mean, from what we should have had a real estate crash, that hasn't happened. Oh. There's no crash. Now, there may be crash locally because of policies, but not because of economic cycles. You understand? They've been, you know, California's real estate is crashing because they're idiots, right? Their, their policies are terrible. They're purposely screwing businesses and homeowners and, and everybody over. That's like, of course, you're going to tank your own economy, but that's not a market cycle. You're just being an idiot. So market cycles are no longer valid anymore. So when you look at traditional economics and you look at what we used to gauge these trends by, those factors don't play anymore. Now we're at a point, especially now with a completely democratic uh, government, right? It's print all day long. There is not going to be, we cannot have anybody. It's, it's almost like when you have a child and they fall and you're catching them every single time before they hit the floor, right? You're not teaching that kid that's like, hey, listen, you know, if you walk this way, you're going to bust your ass every time. Yeah. You understand? Learn to not walk that way. No, you're not teaching them that. You're teaching them that, like, I can be a complete moron because every time I'm going to fall, my mommy or daddy are going to pick me up right back up. You understand? Like, I trip my son on purpose sometimes just for him to get some stability. Wow. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Wow. Um, <laughs> Val, please comment that that's not true. <laughs> It may make sense. It's a joke, but but I, I wanted to touch on Brian Pollins. He says, but renting to non-paying tenants, but renting to non-paying tenants, question. Better have lots of cash. So I, agree. I, I disagree because this is a problem, Brian, that I see with a lot of people is that they are generalizing an issue. So they're seeing all this like, oh, eviction moratoriums are in place. Screw it. We, we can't be, you know, you can't have rentals. Wrong. You know, th that's completely wrong. We have nine rentals. Everybody's paying. We haven't had issues. Stop it. Knock it. <laughs> Knock it away. We don't need right now. You just need to be smart about who you're, who you're renting to, right? Whoever your tenants are, pay attention. Like, all right, we are facing lockdowns. We're facing issues with close contact and stuff like that. Don't rent to somebody that's a waiter or a waitress. You understand? Like don't rent to somebody that their job relies on human contact. Rent to somebody that has a job that they can do from home. That's stable. That has part of tenant, one of these tenant major screenings companies. become much more important. And that's where I'm saying like, but it is one of the things Brian, where I say, I agree. It's like better have lots of cash. Yes. I think having cash is still king. Don't leverage yourself to the kill uh, to, all the way to the top and be so thin on margin. It, that's what we we're just talking about earlier of the, you need to understand where your money's coming from, why you're making money and be prepared. If that music stops, you yeah. can withstand that. Or like, don't just sit on the side with a ton of cash, not doing anything because it's like, Hey, it, the yeah. opportunity cost is potential to where it's like, it could go on three, four, five, six, ten 10 years. And that's the new norm. And then now it's like, Inflation just ate away everything that you could have potentially had. Because, like, well, yes, it, people are going to get punished along the way. And you're like, creating the economy that we talked about where people are incentivized to take higher risk. Companies are incentivized to take higher risk because there's no fear of punishment. There's no fear of, hey, if we take a higher risk, then this and this might go wrong. you know. Or if we take a higher risk, then what's going to happen? We're going to lose our business. We're going to lose our house. It's like... 
no, actually, none of those things are going to happen. You can take a higher risk, and guess what? You're going if it's a high enough risk, you're going to get bailed out. So kind of how that saying goes. Um, I can't remember who said it, but they were saying if you owe the bank a million dollars, you have a problem. If you owe the bank a billion dollars, they have a problem, right? So right now, that's where we are. The bigger you get the more secure your business is and everything. And I think that's scary. There's a, there's a big unknown zone in the middle there you got to cross, but uh, hey, yeah. you make it across. Well, and then you have, it's creating a lot of speculative investments. A lot of people Whoa. that are investing on the on just news headlines, uh, on shit that makes no sense. And like this article right here that I wanted to touch on, we have Elon Musk tweets, people listen. His misunderstood all right, misunderstood tweet led to an 11,000% increase in the price of a penny stock called Signal Advance. So if you guys didn't hear about this, Elon Musk tweeted that you need to be on Signal. Signal is an app that's kind of like a WhatsApp, what, what's app um, for chatting and messaging and all of this, with the difference being that it's not owned by Facebook and therefore, they're not tracking you. They're not, you know, capturing all your information, knowing what you're talking about. I say all the messages are encrypted where nobody yeah, can see them. They're but not the people snitching between. to the government. They have all of those things, right? So you have that. And he says, you know, get on signal. People took it as, oh, it must be a stock. They jumped online, found signal, which was a penny stock, not an actual stock. What did this company um, do? They're, they're a tech company of some form. I try to find, but they, all they said is like they're a tech company and I don't know. But they're a penny stock. So they went from $0.60 cents to $75. God. <laughs> so he tweeted that on Thursday. They went from $0.60 cents on Thursday to $70 by Monday. I'm curious if that company was like, ooh, dump a bunch of stock, sell a bunch of stock, now feel this demand so I can get a bunch of cash. And if, then if those owners were a, 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 a gram of smart and had some form of intelligence, I would have dumped, if I was the owner, I would have freaking dumped all of my stock because it's like, that's not the value. But I'm raising a shit ton of money right now because where I'm going at with this, and right now, well, at least as of yesterday when I looked this up, the stock is trading, so I went from $0.60 cents to $70. Now it's trading at $8. It completely oh, tanked, right? Man. So because people realize, oh, shit, this isn't it. My point is this, is that somebody says something and people rush after it. Where it's like, did you do any research? If you're one of these people that bought Thursday or Friday, let's say, Right. And come Monday, you're like, oh, $70. Oh, my God, he was right. But you're not understanding that the company you're investing in isn't what, what he was talking about. Talking about. Well, it's, it's like what I was talking about earlier. It was like, you don't know why you just made money. You yeah. just know you made money. You're like, ooh, let me go do it again. And like, nope, that's not how the how that works. And it, the histories, if history is any teacher, those people will eventually get punished. But you just need to understand why you're well, making a lot, money. A lot and of people did get bets. punished on that one because oh, yeah. uh, God, from yeah. 70 to 8, I know a lot of people lost their ass. It's just going back to it, it's the same with real estate. I see this all the time. Right now, there's a new app. For those of you that don't know, uh, I tend to get on it qu quite frequently. We're 
trying to create a, a continuing segment every Tuesday around 9, 10 a.m. Uh, where we're going to be answering a lot of questions about real estate. And it's a couple uh, big real estate names across the country that are, we're getting together doing this. So I'm on that app on crowdfunding. Uh, I always call it crowdfunding. On uh, Clubhouse. And I'm listening to these uh, real estate talks. And you have all... You know, all of these people, even some of the local idiots that we know that are Facebook famous, always bragging about their $120,000 wholesale check. Big hustle pinned yeah, on the wall. Yeah, they're, they're the, the hustlers. Um, so you have all these morons on there talking about, like, straight nonsense. And, what, and, and that's fine. I get it. You know, you got to sell to, you know, the, the lower educated, I guess. But what isn't what's interesting to me what's crazy to me is the amount of people that are jumping on saying oh my god thank you so much you've changed my life this and that because of the st things they're saying and i'm like but none of that makes any sense like they're literally teaching you how to screw over sellers how to screw over buyers how to screw over everybody and get paid in the middle and you're thinking that's a business model you understand? So you're going after what people are saying. You're jumping on bandwagons. You're jumping on all these things. You know, the same with Bitcoin. Bitcoin blew up just because it blew up. There's no anything behind it to say that there's an actual sound reason for Bitcoin to go up. No, it's just people jumping on trends. And as long mm -hmm. as we keep having that and we keep seeing that, going back to what are the trends going to be in real estate? You got to take more risk if you want to be in this game. Because I don't see this slowing down anytime soon. I mean, Brian Pauling's put in here, he goes, sometimes it's better to sell the seeds to the farmer than to be the farmer. Or like in the... 100%. Uh, like the gold rushes of uh, yeah. San Francisco. It's like, who made the money? The people selling the picks and the shovels to the people dumping everything to buy picks and shovels to go mine gold when nobody might find that much gold. The rush had already pretty much been over at that point, even though the mass hysteria just caught on. So yeah. that, that, I mean, yeah. And well, it's also like one of the articles we kind of skipped over I want to talk about of why this demand and why this appreciation has been going so high is I noticed this when my parents went through a refinance that the guy, no, there was no appraisal. I was like, huh? Talk about the FHA. Yeah. The FHA extends relaxed appraisal lending standards. So when, and then um, my girlfriend's parents bought a house and the guy did an appraisal and this was March that they were doing this. And all of a sudden the agent reached out to me, Hey, they do the appraisal. I'm like, apparently, and the seller's like, nobody ever called. Nobody ever scheduled the guy just go into the house without announcing anything. Cause that's a little bit concerning. Uh, if somebody just shows up unannounced and doesn't tell you they're going to be inside your house. And I call the lender and I'm like, Hey, did you guys do the appraisals? Oh yeah. They just did a, a drive-by appraisal. I'm like, okay. So on, a, on a refi? No, this was on a purchase. On a purchase? They, on a per a they just did a drive-by. They just drove by the house, and then oh. they just went off pictures. And then when my parents did the refinance, there was no appraisal. It was They did a desktop appraisal. To where just what they can see online, they just do an appraisal off based off of that. They're not actually going to the house and doing any due diligence to verify appraisals. And my thought was when I saw this, is like, how many houses have we been into from the outside? They look great. And from the pictures online, they look great. But then you walk inside and you're like, this house ain't great at all. Uh, there are cracks. They took the best shots from every angle and you can't see the massive foundation cracks. You can't feel the thing shifting and have those problems. But with desktop appraisals and drive-by appraisals, 
those houses are now qualifying for top dollar refinances and purchases. Yeah. So that's the issue that is coming from that. But some of the, um, yeah. Uh, so originally it's set to expire January 31st of 2021. However, the government entity is now talking about the FHFA is now pushing that back to at least February 28th, 2021. According to the release, the extended flexibilities include alternative appraisals on purchases and rate term refinance loans, alternative methods for documenting income and verifying employment before loan closing and expanding the use of power of attorney to assist with loan closings. Like you just, all three of those things is like, wow, there's a lot of opportunity in there for things to not be done right and due diligence not being done to get people in trouble. And so the FHA cited many lenders were unable to obtain an appraisals based on full interior and exterior inspections of the subject properties during the pandemic. And in turn, the FHA supervised the GSEs, that's Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, to begin using both drive-by appraisals and desktop appraisals in certain circumstances to ensure that the mortgage process was not held up due to appraisal issues. But now, those alternative appraisals may become long-term solutions as the FHFA released a request for input through February that highlights specifically the benefits and pitfalls of hybrid appraisals. So now they're trying to make this a standard. That's like, hey, yeah, due to these uh, the situation, uh, it seemed that uh, because of the pandemic, we can do all these alternative appraisals, income verifications and stuff like that. But now let's make this more long-term so we can keep the housing market going and keep it just growing at exponential rates. Because that is one that was one of the biggest winners of 2020 was housing and real estate markets for single-family housing, not so much commercial. Uh, going up and money getting into the economy to where it's like, so now you're just going trying to undo the things that saved that caused the 2008 crisis to happen. You're trying to undo those things to make it grow faster. It's like it just seems like you're getting into the same thing again. But it just blew my mind that they're trying to make desktop appraisals and drive-bys a standard on rate and term and loan purchases. Like pictures don't do just for the inside of a house. I can tell you firsthand experience how many times I've been into houses, seen pictures, and then it's just like, what? This house looks nothing like this. Like, oh, oh no, sure. I'm trying. I just wasted an hour of my day driving all the way over here. And now just to walk inside and be like, that's why this house isn't selling and turn on walking right back out. Well, I wonder if with the banks, it's uh, a lot of the same thing that we're discussing with investors where they're looking at, you know, we're going to be okay. You understand? Even if we make bad loans, we're going to get bailed out. We're going to get taken Happened care twice. of. twice. You have, uh, you know, the government-sponsored enterprises, Fannie and Freddie. They're no longer going to be released. They're going to stay under the government's control and all that and or whatever the hell you want to call it. Yeah, conservatorship. I uh, forgot there's a PC term for it. Uh, so <laughs> they're, they're going to stay under that. Um, and you have these companies that, you know, there's there's no risk. There's no risk to them. So with that being said, I wanted to continue with one of the the um, the article the article on the stimulus, right? Because so he talked about that you know billions of people will be saved and all uh, billions uh would be allocated. Okay, that was the next part. So billions would also be allocated to help small businesses, including minority-owned establishments, low-income families facing homelessness, rent relief paid family leave, access to affordable childcare, and better access to federal nutrition programs for children and family. He called for extending nationwide restrictions on evictions and moratoriums. Um, we all know that government housing, 
government food and all that is always the best, right? Uh, government sponsored childcare and all that. I mean, Top I, notch. I, I can't just, get better than that. I could imagine where the hell you're dropping your kids off. Ramen noodles um, and low grade mac for great well, value. I don't see what the problem with those great things value. are. Yeah. I love both. But anyway, <laughs> an extra $1 trillion will be allocated to help struggling Americans with the third round of stimulus checks, giving them 1,400 payments as well as an extra 400 a week for unemployment and affected workers. That is not exactly what I wanted to talk about. I thought it was on that one. Uh, this one. Okay. So this article is the one that I thought I was reading. So this one is Biden to extend pause on federal student loan payments. So this is one of the issues that we've talked about is this is all part of the same stimulus package and everything. So you had, oh man, what's her, her name? Uh, Warren, Warren, Elizabeth Warren. She wanted to forgive $50,000 worth of that student is her. Loans. Hold on. She yeah. wanted to forgive $50,000 of student loans. Sanders wanted to forgive all student loans across the board, period. Biden is talking about $10,000 of student loans. So where am I going with all this? Oh, and then also let's not forget that uh, Biden also has, and we've spoken on this on previous episodes, Biden also has... Um, for first-time home buyers, an incentive of fifteen thousand dollars. So, hey, um, terrible picture just popped up on the screen. But um, so you have fifteen thousand dollars of home incentives for home buyers. The appraisal process doesn't seem to be an issue. Two thousand dollar checks, extra uh, weekly stimulus money, extension on evictions moratoriums. It's like. This pre creates the perfect storm for real estate to just blow the hell up. You have builders right now, and there's an article in here that we're going to touch on that are going nuts building houses left and right. And they're even saying, don't worry about the cost or the profit. Don't worry about that. Just build houses. Just well, that's what I'm saying. Like, why is plywood a year ago, it was at eight, nine bucks a sheet is now at $32 a sheet. Because there's a short supply and a massive demand. That demand is so large that it's outstripping supply. But like that's why prices are increasing because they are feeding that demand. We're like, you're talking from nine dollars to thirty. That's a huge portion, and that's a huge portion of your budget of all of your lumber up 150, 200 percent. So we're like, but the demand is still there and the profits still there. That's allowing these prices to get that high. That just goes to show like how much demand is out there. When you have those prices rising across the board everywhere. So you, if you want more opportunities, you haven't had enough yet. Um, we've talked about, you know, pretty much right now, if you're a wholesaler, get into wholesaling, buy those properties, put them on the MLS. You have buyers on the MLS overpaying for houses left and right. I'm telling you. It, well, I mean, at this point, it's, it's like, are they, are right they overpaying? They're overpaying in our opinion. Oh, Obviously, 100%. to somebody's opinion, they're not paying. They're, they're getting a price. Whatever well, their motive is, that's on them. They're overpaying, again, like you said, on our opinion, right? But one, one of the things and the point that I made to you yesterday was when I first started investing or getting into real estate, when I got to San Antonio about seven, eight years ago, I was doing a lot of foreclosures. And with the foreclosures, we were doing a lot of subject twos. So we would take over the payments, right? Um, catch up whatever payments they had behind. 
and the people will be out of foreclosure. They wouldn't be foreclosing, uh, uh, foreclosed on anymore, and they were able to move out. I remember it was hard to wholesale a deal for five grand when the deal was you had at least 20% equity in the, in the property already. You were taking over the payments, which their reinstatement was barely a month behind at the time, barely a month behind on reinstatement, and you were cash flowing like 300 bucks a month. I couldn't wholesale those deals. Buyers, they were like, no, I want more equity. I want more cash flow all day long. Right now, a deal like that is a freaking home run of a deal. Yeah, People I mean, you snatch that up left and right all day well, long. Well, it's like, yeah, they'll snatch it up day and long. And they're also snatching up stuff that's like, hey, it needs a lot of repairs. Hey, it needs a lot of, uh, there's not, there's like no cash flow. Hey, have, it's a very costly to get into. And like people are still buying those things, like how the stark difference between what it was seven, eight years ago to what it is today. Yeah. And like, cause buyers are so starving for deals that are like, they're just so much funny money. They're like, I just want anything. I just want a deal. And they'll just jump on it to where it's like, you need to understand the fundamentals of that deal and like what the potential long-term risks are. Well, that's why we, we talk about it needs to be when you're buying properties now as an investor that you're going to keep them. You're not, so you, the wholesaling, you should be wholesaling. If you're an investor, you need to be holding on to these properties because if you're a fix and flip buy investor, you're going to struggle to find fix and flips that you're going to be able to flip in two to three months and still make uh, a decent profit on because most likely you're overpaying. Where you need to be, if you're a flipper, you need to be hoteling as well. You need to be buying these houses. If anything, clean them up. If they're too jacked up or anything, clean them up and put them on the market. There are people that are, uh, will probably pay you 20 grand over what you bought it for yeah. well, that's, just by putting it on the market. That's where like, we kind of have to bite our tongues when we talk about stuff like that. It's just like... Oh, uh, do we? <laughs> but if I you still have to understand like if nobody buys that you're now stuck with that house so you sure. have to know the margin of like and have the capability to understand like if nobody buys this thing i can get out of this deal yeah. or you have enough cash to get out of the deal to lose the money to just sell it off to somebody who can take it on if you took on too much risk or have the knowledge and know-how to be like okay i at least can turn this property around and get it on the market and still sell it and maybe make a profit in two threes refinance whatever it be where it gets very dangerous is when you have somebody that's very inexperienced raise a bunch of money and they see this wholetailing thing and they're like great i can go buy this product put it in the market somebody buys it i make a spread but then all of a sudden you have one property come along paid way too much for needed way too much work. And now you're like, nobody will buy this thing. And I don't have the money to lose that on the MLS or let it sit there for too long. And the interest payments killed you. What are you going to do? Well, so you need to understand at least a deal and just be like, it, that's not the end all to be all strategies. Like you still need to understand the risks that are associated with it. Not just look at, Hey, I, I'm looking at profit where it's like, uh, Warren Buffett, your, your, your big investors and stuff like that, they say, you still need to protect your downside. Yeah. You need to understand your downside and like how we look at you. Like, how do we lose money? How do we, and make sure if we are in that risk, how much risk is that to where if we do lose money, we can cover that loss. If everything goes to hell, we can't, and we can make that up and so still move on. You're hitting on a good point that I think the people that are going to be at most, most at risk are going to be money lenders. Your hard money lenders and your private money lenders, because they're the ones that are going to be relying on these speculative deals, on these risky investors. And in the, if these investors don't have the moral, or or the the least the 
I guess, I don't know, the ethics to not screw you over. Because right now, we're, we're looking at two properties that we're probably going to end up picking up that we're looking to buy of a lender that we know that lent to an investor that was a complete freaking moron, right? They're, they're, they completely screwed up the whole deal, realized that they're in way over their head, and just took off, right? Just left it like, oh, sorry, here it is, you know, and left the private money lender holding the oh. bag. And so it's like now at this point, it's this private money lender is just trying and, to and mitigate well, the problem. The loss. Is like and can't foreclose, and you can't foreclose. You're trying to foreclose, get the house back to do something with them, but nope, can't foreclose on them. So you're still stuck. Oh, because paying. Abbott, right? They he extended they, they something. Did, no, yeah, he did something back in January, like hey, fourteen, some kind of stay. It wasn't specifically geared towards mortgages. It was geared towards like hey, government offices or something needed to stop that prevented foreclosure from happening. And in Texas, they can only happen on the first Tuesday of the month. So that was an issue. So that stay or whatever it was, was during that period. But there's no saying that that doesn't continue. So, I mean, that is well, where. And then also what you have is that you have the, um, the foreclosures, the eviction and the closure, what is it, moratoriums uh, or eviction moratorium, whatever. But all of this is for Fannie Mae loans and Fannie and Freddie loans, you know, government sponsored loans. Yeah. So. If you're like in the situation of this investor, they can still foreclose. You know, it's just that when you have your governor that freaking pushed foreclosures for whatever the hell reason, <laughs> now you're screwed. But like, that's where I'm going at is that right now the risk is with the lenders. And we're going to probably start getting calls again from hard money lenders saying, hey, we have a property. Do you want to take it over? Because they probably lend to somebody that did exactly the same thing because they're so eager. They have so they're being flooded with so much money that they need to put it out in the market, right? So they can get some return on it. So they're so eager to lend money out that they're lending to anybody and everybody. So if you're a private money lender, you need to be looking at these investors' credibility. And by credibility, like who have they worked with? Do well, they have a reputation? Yeah, and that's where like getting in this environment right now, it's like it used to be you need to do due diligence more on the property than the person because like, hey, there's so much upside. But now these things are so tight, you really need to do equal due diligence, not only on the property, but the operator, then their abilities and their reputation to be able to perform or having that conversation, just asking like, so if this goes wrong, how do you protect me? That's why I don't think a lot of people are asking. Like, if this deal goes bad, they ask themselves that. They don't ask their operator. Your operator, if you're the one lending on it, regardless, yes, you can take the house back and you get that asset back. They're your partner. Yeah. You need to understand who that person is, how they're making money, their ethics, their morals, and to say like, if everything, because that's when we talk with our lenders, like, if something goes wrong, hey, we have the ability to hold on to this property. We'll renegotiate the terms of the property. Let's hold on to it. Let's finish it out and let and we'll sell it in three, four years if something drastically goes wrong. But I think we're, and then you need to understand their abilities to perform on that. Because if you're just wanting to be a lender, you don't want to be a landlord. You don't want to be tenants and or tenants and toilets and taking all those calls, doing all the tenant screening and stuff like that. But that is something that we do. We have yeah. nine properties that I, we self-manage uh, for ourselves to where our properties do have that ability on the backside. If something goes wrong, something reverses, we have an, a, a plan B and have the ability and the credibility and the knowledge of how to execute that plan B. Exactly. Well, I think that is going to become more and more and more important in today's environment, because I do think like real estate is going to blow up, but it can't blow up forever. Oh, oh so something sure. eventually is going to happen. That's going to create some kind of environment, but, but you I, need to understand. I, I, and this is, you know, I guess we should have put this disclaimer at the beginning. Um, we are not, uh, these are not financial advice. This is not, 
investing not TPAs, advice. We're not, we're not financial planners. We have no, we're, like, we're not doctors. We're not dentists. Uh, none of those things. Okay. So do your own due diligence and everything. We're just speaking common sense. Um, that the, disclaimer was in the very beginning. That disclaimer was in the beginning. Okay. We do <laughs> speak just common sense, but you need to, as a private money lender, as a lender period, you need to understand the deal as much or more as the investor that's buying the deal. Did you get a survey? Does that survey make sense? Is it, is it, you know, is the property make sense where the survey is? What are the repairs? Are there bids on those repairs? How do you know those repairs are accurate? Did you look at the comps? Did you look at the market? Do you understand how to do comps? Like you need to, as a lender, understand all of these things. It used to be that uh, if you didn't know what you were doing, you go to a hard money lender for a loan and the hard money lender would pretty much educate you on this because they would do all of that due diligence. They would do that. But now the hard money lenders are just lending to anybody and everybody. Regardless. Well, you have these desktop, that thing ties in these desktop appraisals and stuff like that to where yeah. somebody goes through and just looks at the basics of the deal. Yeah, here's some comps that are all desktop. Okay, yeah, you're good. And the lenders lend on that. And because you look at the nature of how that space works and it's heavy, heavy, heavily based on commissions. Yeah. So when you have somebody whose livelihood is hinged on their ability to place that money and get that deal done, at what point do they go, Let's just Oopsies. we'll look over that piece and we'll just make this we'll just still make this thing work. Right. And like, oh man, and especially if you're getting too big and uh, and then you don't realize that's going stuff's well, going on, that you have some real So another opportunity. So we talked about you being able to do um hoteling, right? If you're um a wholesaler, that's where you're gonna make money. If you're a flipper, that's probably where you're gonna make money. Talked about if you're a private money lender, protect your ass because this is where you're gonna lose it. The next thing is buy and hold investors. This is where I think buy and hold investors are going to flourish because right now, as the market sits and everything, we have such a shortage of inventory, especially in Texas. And now you're having all of these crappy properties being put out on the market, not renovated, not flipped or anything, because there's just no need to flip them or renovate them. So these properties are being put out on the market. So now you have these new buyers coming in from California, Seattle, you know, all these refugees are escaping and refugees. <laughs> and then you have all these people coming here and they're finding, you know, all these dumps. So what are they going to go to? They're going to go to a rental because they're going to be like, you know what? Let's, let's just get a rental. Let's get a, a property, something nice. And let's see, you know, we'll buy something later. Right? So, rentals are going to go through the roof. Inventory is tight. And to that point, there's an article here with San Pedro Creek's restoration underway. San Antonio developers are snapping up properties around it. So you're talking about San Antonio investing. These people are, these developers are picking up properties left and right around the San Pedro Creek, which is going down, uh, through kind of like the West side downtown area of San Antonio which is very distressed area. It's an area that, you know, we've seen plenty of times that, you know, concerts. there's a reason it's called San Pedro Creek, the Creek. That's what it was. Like it has very little water flow going through it. Cause I mean, you have San Antonio river, which feeds like goes by the Pearl and feeds like the downtown area and the San Pedro Creek runs into it, but a Creek and a river, two completely different things. One has a lot of water flow. One has very little water flow. So it was literally just like a drainage ditch that just had constant water th flowing that, through that's it. That's how I saw it ever since, you know, from when I moved here, I, 
the San Pedro Creek. I didn't know it, was, it even had a name. You're a city boy. You're a city like, boy. It's okay. You don't understand those terms. Oh, yeah. I'm a city boy. <laughs> so, oh, you came from a Compared town to where of, I came uh, from, like you're a city boy. people, and, I, and mine was 30,000 people, so it was a city. 30,000 were next to millions within yeah. an hour. Come on, um, But talking about opportunities, you have these people, these developers picking up properties left and right through uh, on this area. And then you have uh, developers who've purchased land along the creek, include Gray Street Partners and West Western Urban. These guys are freaking owning all of. Uh, That's, they're San the two. That, they're the big developers in the Huge downtown developers. area. Gray Street and Western Urban are your two big so, people. They say one of the largest private equity firms is also taking notice. Blackstone bought two adjacent hotels, a residence inn and a Fairfield Inn and Suites. On about six acres of land along the future path of the park in the summer of 2019. Then you have NRP Group, one of San Antonio's most prolific apartment builders, is close to finishing construction of a 323 unit apartment complex. All right, this is again uh, near downtown, 323 units along the creeks. About 12% of the apartments are leased and residents have started moving in already. So they're not even done with it. And already 12% are leased and people are starting to move in. The first segment of the culture park, um, of the culture park running from San Saba Street to Houston Street or Houston, whatever the hell people want to pronounce it, was completed in 2018. The next going as far as south as Nueva Street is under construction expected to open in April 2022. Three more phases of construction will take the park past Cevallo Street in Southtown. So past uh, all the way down to Southtown. Um, the San Antonio River Authority hopes to finish them all by spring of 2023. We know, you know, government projects are always on target. Uh, when all of this is done, the park will be about 1.9 miles long so massive project going all the way down to south town on the west side highly distressed real estate you should be picking up rentals all day long in that area right well now. you look at and that's what I'm saying you have and that's when like blackstone coming and they're the big ones that made a ton of money and spun off multiple single family residential reits that i listened to his book mm -hmm. um steve schwarzman like they had so much money in 2009 10 or 2009 10 and 11 they were going to the courthouse steps and they were spending i think it was like 120 to 130 million dollars every single week in buying distressed properties because yeah those deals didn't make sense that day but they see a disconnect of what they're worth today to what they're worth going to be worth in the future and they put their money where their mouth is and be like we're going to buy all that stuff up because we think in three four five years these houses are going to be gold and they were um and that bet has worked where you look at 2005, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, big east side of San Antonio, Dignity, Denver Heights. I mean, they were dumps. And I remember getting into that and being like, oh, but you want to make sure you, it started coming around. You want to make sure that you stay east uh, or west of New Braunfels. Mm -hmm. Well, now you're starting to see houses jumped where now they're like, you just want to stay near New Braunfels Street and it, it's moving. But then they say west side, oh, the west side of downtown, it's crap. 7207, crap. Like, and you look at the comps and that, that's what they look like. But now you see this massive amount of development going on the west side of downtown for these creeks, these big players coming in, you're buying up this land to where you don't know how long you're going to have to hold it to where it, it makes great money. But 
it's going to make good money eventually. So you do just need to buy in the sense like, hey, I might just have to wait a while. Cash can be stuck in the deals, but I can still sustain the portfolio. But in three, four, five, six years, these things are really going to be worth something. Because I do agree that, but it's also one of the things like, I would do it. But you do need to have the money yes. to buy and sit and wait and be patient. So here's a, a power tip for you guys. Real estate over time, over the course of 10 years, always goes up. All right, we've uh, John does the market update every month. We have historical data. We pulled data plenty of times on the historical data on certain subdivisions, certain neighborhoods to see the project the appreciation moving forward, project all of this. And over that all that data, and you take any 10-year period, anyone, even including 2008, any 10-year period from start to finish, real estate went up. Even if you bought, you know, at the peak of 2007, real estate is higher than it was then, right? So when you look at all those things, you look at that data, that is where you need to be. That is what companies like Blackstone and these major investors, I remember back in, what was it, 2010, I think it was, or 2009, I was following this one investor guru who wasn't such a douchebag back then. He would buy tax rolls in Detroit. He was paying like a hundred thousand dollars for twenty homes, or yeah, for like twenty, thirty homes, and he was just buying all these houses. He didn't even care. He didn't see any of the houses. He didn't care. All he did is he hired a local contractor, gave him five grand a property, just cleaned them up, cleaned every single one of those properties up, rented them from six, seven hundred bucks, and held them. He was cash flowing like crazy, had virtually no risk. All those properties later made him millions of dollars just because of the appreciation, the growth and everything. You understand? That's what people understand. They, they know that they got to take their money and put it in real estate and leave it. Let it build. Be smart on how you're doing. Uh, so many people right now are so focused on their cash on cash return and all these, uh, you know, well, your cash, cash on cash races. returns are like, I want to have at least $300 a month cash flow after I take out vacancies, uh, appreciate or EIT, all that, their property management fees, leasing fees, all that stuff. It's like, I still want this huge amount. Like you're not going to find that in you, if you, you can, but now you're pushing yourself way down the risk spectrum on those properties. And if you're a new investor, you don't even like getting a C class D class property, much different. So, uh, and you get to understand too. It's like, where are you investing? Right? Like San Antonio has a large, upside still available to it it's it's still one of the most uh affordable cities in texas uh, as far as the major metros go it's one of the most affordable ones it keeps growing closer and closer to new braunfels closer and closer to austin Ernie, austin it's going to yeah. become that dallas fort worth between uh san antonio and austin i think with all of this affordability the infrastructure that we have that it's a lot easier to expand a lot easier to commute within San Antonio. It's not landlocked like a city like Austin is. It has way too many upsides that's like, how much higher can it go? A lot more. Because yeah. I, don't, I don't think we've even begun to tap. And then well, I mean, another point that I wanted to make and get your thoughts on and you guys on the chat is we have right now with all of the stimulus, all these things going on, and then you have all of these companies are adapting to work from home and all of these things because, you know, if they want to stay in business, they got to just adapt to what's happening. So working from home and everything, 
when do you think that we're going to start seeing people from Austin start selling their homes there and move into San Antonio because their money is going to go a lot further and they don't need to live in Austin anymore because now they can work from home. And if they need to be in the office one or two days a week, they'll make the trip up to Austin. But now for two or $300,000, instead of getting a shack in Austin, you get a pretty sized home in San Antonio. You understand? So I see things like that being very likely as we keep moving forward. I see the growth of San Antonio being tremendous moving forward. But what's the problem is you got to get rid of, and, and it's, it's, it's almost against me to even say it because it's like all the things that I've learned since I started learning economics and investing, you got to get rid of return on investment from the get go out of your mind. You got to get rid of all these things. You got to get rid of saying, I want to be, I want to have 20% equity, $300 cash flow, and be in the property, no money. Like, that's not the market that we're in right now. Like, right now, you can get the cash flow, but you're going to have to leave. And then you have the, the, the adage of, like, oh, well, I'll just wait. And like, well, you might be waiting a long time. You might not wait a long time. Yeah. It's like, it's that opportunity cost of just sitting there cash, getting eaten away by inflation, getting 1% in the bank or 0%. Like, you kind of have to hedge your bets a little bit on, on what that really is in your current financial situation. Because that's another thing to South Central Texas is another article that was done by the Business Journal here that San Antonio saw construction job growth in 2020 despite statewide decline. So the metro area construction workforce grew by 1% here in San Antonio. This was done by the Association of General Contractors was a study. From November 19 to November 2020, our construction workforce grew to where statewide the construction workforce declined by 20% over that span. Only about one-third of metro areas nationwide saw growth in construction jobs. The Houston area, which actually kind of shocked me, lost 22,000 jobs. And the most in the United States, followed by New York City, which has 16,700. So the Austin Round Rock area lost 900 jobs. Dallas actually gained 3,700. And Fort Worth gained 3,800. So that is something that it's like, hey, construction is still growing here in San Antonio. So even mm -hmm. through all of that, all of that thing happened in 2020, our construction workforce is actually growing to where a lot of things nationwide, there's some other things in that article of like a lot of projects haven't been put on hold. A lot of our uh, projects have been postponed or saying, hey, we're going to do that, but we're going to extend them or canceled. And I think it was the tune of two thirds of people were in that position versus one third saying, yes, we're getting more new projects coming in. So in a down year of projects being no new ones coming on or very little new ones coming on, the ones that were planned are getting pushed. And now you have an area like South Central Texas actually growing its construction workforce. So that's something that is like attuned towards like, hey, the stability of this market seems to be pretty good from an economic indicator yeah. of what's going on. As far as you look at construction growth, you look at permits, single family permits, year over year growth, where you look at the stuff we talked about San Pedro uh, going on. And then you look at our demographics of our city because you can't get that stimulus money if you made more than like 75 grand a year. Well, there's a lot more people in San Antonio that don't make 70 or make less than 75 a grand a year than in say Austin. So there's a lot of that government money is going to be flowing into this city to where I think it's like, for sure, that's a good sign. Well, and now here's another economic article that is, uh, it's kind of nuts is Biden calls to raise the federal minimum wage 
to $15 an hour. Oof. So this is something that we discussed on prior Coffee with the Johns. And it, it, it's a scary premise to think this. And we knew this was kind of one of the things that he um, he would be doing. And he's sticking to his guns on doing this. And it's very dangerous because of what we've spoken about in the past on raising minimum wage is and, and about being a, a headline reader, right? Because if you read like the headlines and all that, or you listen to him, he says, uh, Florida just passed it as divided as the state is. They just passed it. The rest of the country is ready to move as well. The thing with that is a lot of people that don't do the research, they're saying, oh, see, Florida, look how much they're thriving and they passed it. Okay. First of all, they are thriving. Okay. Yeah. That's one. And two, they passed it in stages. All right. They didn't go from zero, you know, from whatever the minimum wage was to 15 in the year and you're done. No, it's incrementally like right now it went from like eight something to 10 bucks. And then every year it's going to, I think, go up a dollar or something like that. So it's incrementally going up because the businesses, the small businesses yeah. need time to adjust. Well, that's that. what I think a lot of it. Cause I mean, I know where you're going with it. They're not, they won't go from eight dollars to 15 to 15 overnight he says that he's in the stimulus package i think they shortened that piece to condense it saying to get eyeballs because previous plans I and mean, even when they raised the federal minimum wage in the early 2000s from five to eight bucks whatever it was even that was in stages so the government's not going to come out i highly because it would just decimate the economy if you went especially small areas if you went from eight dollars to fifteen dollars so i get that but then he he's he's saying here and i mean this is one thing that i actually look forward to having um a republican no a democratic president is to stop hearing so much of the you know the what do you man what you call it when they take uh things out of ref out of perspective out, out of context. context and you know with trump they did it all the time they would just take one little blurb and be like ah oh, look what he said i feel like now we can actually rely on these comments in these blurbs because i doubt they're going to do that to a democratic president right they're going to take him at his word so one of the things that he said was hard-working americans deserve sufficient wages to put food on the table and keep a roof over their heads without having to keep multiple jobs um but millions of working families are struggling to get by so you're saying they're going to raise it incrementally with these kind of words I don't see how he can raise it incrementally and keep people happy because if he's saying he's going to raise minimum wage, people are thinking you're going to raise minimum wage now, right? Not in four years, five years. Like if he is going to do this, I think it's going to be a lot faster to get there just by those words. Because if not, if you're going to do it incrementally, you're still not helping out the families. Right, because it's like incrementally, you're not making it better. Then that means for the next especially to go years, to especially go to fifteen dollars from the I think it's like eight seventy five or something right now. Um, yeah, to where it's like that's a huge increase to do in one fell swoop. Or if you do it over time, it's going to take you walks. I think the last time they raised it went from like five bucks to eight bucks over the course of three four years. Yeah. So now go from eight to fifteen, you're doubling it in a short period of time so oh, but then, uh, this one thing about this federal minimum wage thing where it's like i don't agree with it for the fact that like it's not gonna work for some of these small communities like where i came from you make it 15 bucks you are gonna drive the cost of living there through the roof as far as just like basic 
food necessities and things like that. Like you can't afford to pay a restaurant worker there 15 bucks or a kid standing at the car wash to help detail cards is getting eight, $9 at 12 years old or uh, he's 16 years old. Now you got to pay this kid $15 an hour. It's like, they're going to find them. They're going to let them go. So you are going to severely hurt your small states that, I mean, yes, it works for Florida. Florida is the fourth largest GDP contributor to the United States. Yep. They have a massacre. You get down into those 20s, 30s, 40s, those red central states, like across some of these areas, like Alabama, uh, across the Alabama, Mississippi, Arkansas, Kansas, Missouri, some of those areas, like you're going to just destroy rural, small America outside of the major metropolitan areas. I don't have a lot of commerce going between cities that they well, just kind of sustain you're, themselves. You're going to open it up to major companies to come in and take over those little businesses, right? You're going to open it up for the Walmarts and, and the, you know, the, uh, the McDonald's and everything like that to come in and put those little businesses. Cause another part of the raising the minimum wage is he wanted to raise the minimum of payment for waiters and staff like that, that are work on tips yeah. that they get like a minimum, you know, and then the rest is on tips. They wanted to raise that as well. So when you're forcing these businesses, th that's the one thing that I've always been against. And I've said it plenty of times is I'm not Republican or Democrat. I think they're both equally idiots. Um, I'm more of a free market. I love the free market. I believe in the free market. I believe the free market is always going to find a way. You know, it may not be pretty, right? It might take some time for it to get pretty, but it's the free market. It's always going to adjust as it needs to. But when you're forcing these things to happen, you're forcing states, cities, areas to increase something that they cannot afford. So now if you're forcing them to increase, you got to, these places got to increase their, 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 uh, prices yeah. or menus for goods services. They got to increase all their prices yeah. to sustain $15 an hour, or they got to start firing well, people. That's, that's what I, you know? I'd say that like people like, yes, it works for your coastal cities. It works for some of your bigger States, but like, that's why I want it should be a state issue. The states know more about their states than the federal government knows about the people that live in those yes. states. To where, like, and that's where you see, like, Florida's that way, uh, California's that way, New York's that way. Some certain cities are that way within those states. They have the authority, like, but the government to come in and say we're going from zero to the highest state in the nation of fifteen dollars an hour. It's like you're going to decimate all these small little towns and stuff like that in order to implement those things. And people say, oh, that's great. It's like, what? Think that through. If a business is going to do that. Where's that cost going to go? It's going to go right to the end consumer. So you go from $9 an hour to $15 an hour. They are just going to raise their prices all the way across or big corporations like McDonald's. They're going to eliminate workers. They're going to automate. They're going to be like, screw that $15 an hour. When I see that I can go this other route of hiring somebody to do that, that I don't have to pay unemployment on. They don't complain. They don't riot against me. I can create a machine that flips burgers and makes hamburgers and spits it out for you. So now I only have like three people working at McDonald's versus 15. Yeah. That's what's going to happen, especially in these smaller areas that can't sustain a $15 a month payment. It's like, you're going to just make those rural and small areas, even smaller. People are going to go to the bigger cities and you're going to decimate these smaller little local economies, like places like where I grew up. So it's going to, that's where I just say like $15 an hour. Woohoo. It's like, that's $15 an hour is going to go right to the bottom very quick. It's going to drive people out of business. that can't adjust and it's going to increase costs for the people that can't adjust. 
because businesses aren't going to just naturally lose money. You're going to fire people, put more stress on those people to offset those wages and then increase their costs at the very bottom. Like that's the only thing it's going to do. And that's going to trickle through the economy into housing. And it's going to be to everything to where in three to five years, you're right back to where you were when this whole problem yeah, ar- arose. I think, I think forcing the federal, uh, doing this federally and everything. Uh, and it just shows again, you know, how terrible politicians are where you think these states are being represented by the people you voted into power, but they're not. You know, the, these people have their agendas to stay in, in power, to stay in like their, where the votes come in, from, in their places, to, so they can keep getting uh, reelected and then they can stay there. But these people are getting reelected because big corporations are the ones that are funding all of their campaigns, right? Like that's those are the things that I think need to change about the uh, our electoral system is that. You, it cannot be whoever can raise the most money gets elected because you're literally saying whoever can be sold out first gets elected. That's That to me is insane. That's an insane way of looking at it. And that's what happens. That And this is something I always made as a joke, kind of. Um, ever since I started in real estate and I started really looking at economics and policies and everything, I was like, we need to get to a point where we can buy politicians. Right. Because if we want things to happen, we need to own the politicians that create these laws, because that's what it is. It's the money that drives these laws. And you're looking at all this and it's like fifteen dollar minimum wage, uh, you know, all this stimulus, all these things. And then one of the things that bugged the hell out of me that they said is um, people deserve. Right. Yeah. You, I, I have an issue. Your favorite word. word is like you deserve this. I, like- I hate. I have an issue with the word deserve because it, it makes it seem like you are, you're not in control of your life, right? So you deserve better and life has been tough to you. It's like, I'm sorry, but if you're in America as an immigrant, as somebody that, you know, my dad didn't speak English and build a business from nothing, you deserve what you have, period. No, like I, you've, you deserve no. what you have because you've earned what you have. But that's what I mean. You deserve what you have, right? What you have, you deserve it because that's what you worked for. That's what you got. You understand? And this whole thing of wanting to change what, how people live and what people have because they deserve better. Like to me, that's all political talk and nonsense. At what point then are we incentivizing people? Like the, the thing that I know about the U S of why we even came here of what, I grew up watching on TV is the American dream that if you get here and you're willing to bust your ass, you're going to be able to achieve something. You're going to be able to achieve the, the home, the white picket fence, you know, the American dream, but you got to bust your ass. That was the the condition you have to work. Now it's getting to a point where it's like, you just have to breathe. You need to live in America and breathe and you should be able to get that. You just have to breathe and you're going to be taken care of. You understand? Like, we got you. We're going to take it. And I'm, I'm not saying I want poverty. What I'm saying is instead of giving people fish, why not start teaching people how to fish? Why not start preparing people, giving them the abilities to be able to fend for themselves? Instead of all these people, uh, you know, uh, people can't be working three jobs. There's a reason they're probably working three jobs. Maybe they don't have education. Maybe they don't have any skills to get a job that can actually sustain a decent lifestyle. 
You understand? So then it's like, okay, how can we educate these people better? And I'm not saying that these people, you know, the majority of the people are lazy or they suck. There's people that have been dealt a very tough hand. You know, they've been abandoned. They've been left a single mom, a single dad, whatever it is. They've had a tough time and they had to yeah. adjust. So it's like, why not provide the tools that they're going to need well, that's to be able to do like something? They are trying to do this to where like, I know with like this whole new PPP loans, like where was that money going first? The money went to minorities first, went to people that didn't get money the first rounds. It went to a minority, went to smaller ethnicities, people that didn't need help or and I agree. It's like, yes, with a little bit of helping hand, they have the work ethic, they have the drive, they have the want, but there's something that's keeping them there or lack of funds, whatever it may be. Okay, cool. I agree. Let's get them money. Let's get them help. Let's raise that economy. Let's get that moving. Like where I just don't trust is the government, the one to be able to say, we're going to be the ones to do it. It's like, no, government's proven they're pretty awful at managing money or getting things to where they initially be where i'm much more the fan of hey we'll provide the money somebody else needs to do the work we're making an incentive for somebody to go in there some free market company or organization or nonprofit to go in there and actually make it work when they they run it the way that they tend to run it towards like we want to have all encompassing control of the oversight of it it's like no that's me that's going to fail and it's not going to work like it's intended to and it's just going to create an ever-revolving door of problems yeah so that's so, where and to start um uh, the last topic i wanted to hit um we're probably going to go over our two hours but oh i think it's an important topic to hit is we do see uh, sorry i don't want to speak for you but i do see more civil unrest happening this year because one of the things that we've seen escalate tremendously is censorship. Oh boy. Censorship has gotten out of control where it is. And again, this is not because of any of our political opinions. This is just what it is. And even the, the, the same um, companies that are censoring are even coming out saying it too. But Censorship has gotten so so crazy one-sided, which purely, I don't know. I hope we're, not. We're going to see if uh, YouTube leaves us Censors up us because we're saying this. Um, yeah. But it's gotten so crazy, and it's gotten to a point where now it's, it's all left. Only if you're doing something on the left, are you allowed to post something? If you're doing something from the right, it's, it's no longer allowed. Or not to say the right, just against whatever they want to say, whatever your views may be. It's like, if it's against what they want to push, that's where you get yeah, censored. I mean, obviously the right's involved in that too, but sure. there's other things. It's like, if you just say, I don't, you're on left, but you disagree with their policy or their way of being. It's like, well, no, 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 we can't have that going. Yep. It's our way or the highway. That was always my big thing where I talk about, we've had, I don't know how many discussions in here about like monopolies and too much power being concentrated in small segments and letting that go for too long because now you do have that. It's your, I mean, what happened last week with the Capitol riots, that's happened. But now how it's been gone after the fact that you have Parler being taken out of the Google App Store, the um, Apple Store, then they're being banned from Facebook, they're being banned from all these other places, uh, Twitter. And then their hosting site of AWS, Amazon Web Services says, we're not going to do it anymore. Effectively taking that company because they were different than them and they depended on them to run their business saying, nope. 
we're going to cut you out. And you still can't use their app. Like the app was growing and had a viable business and it was increasing competition for the open market, giving places where other people can go. But since it, they didn't like it or the, those companies that are established didn't like it, they're eliminating their ability to run and making it that much harder and that much more expensive trying to starve that beast to where it dies. And yeah. that's where I, and that it goes back to the censorship. It goes back to um, companies coming up to be able to create something else to where I believe in the free market, just like you do. Oh, I mean, you, no, you got a, much. you got a different, not as much. Uh, I guess like, I believe in the free market, but we, we disagree on who you, and how you go about balancing the free market. Right. You like the government to take care of your decisions. <laughs> Don't put those words in my mouth, but it's it's that aspect yeah, yeah. of like that censorship that that's where our thing is like they make it so much harder when so much power so much vc money so many of the resources are controlled by this beast that the thing that need that's trying to come up to compete with them to balance out the power can't make it because they have so much power they have all the politicians they paid all the right people they have all the money they have all the services where it's like it's impossible for you to get it because you need where well, you can't and, free market is having problems adjusting and, and trying to balance crazy that out because like right now you have the guy who literally uh invented the internet the world wide web um he is he got fed up with all this he's been on the sidelines you know working for, uh for this other company i don't know if he owns or if he works for it whatever it is but he's been making his money there and he got fed up and he's been working on a project secretly to build a new internet this new internet is going to be what the internet used to be. And these are his words. Um, he wants the internet to go back to being from the, for the people, by the people. <laughs> but it's going back to being uh, a free internet. Um, what is said? Uh, the platform is going to be called Inrupt and is built on the solid platform. Here's why it's important. Solid is basically designed to be like an early days of the internet, wild and free. Uh, the basic idea is that each user is assigned a solid ID and solid pod. When they first come online on the platform that can be hosted wherever you want. So this is not like it's owned by Google. Uh, it's hosted wherever you want. Pod here stands for personal data store, which is what it does instead of apps like google drive where your data is stored on the company server and therefore subject to their data harvesting on solid however all of the data exists in your solid pod when an app requests access solid will authenticate and then you can choose to give it access to your pod so this is you know for all intents and purposes uh Excellent to hear, but where I'm honestly, and I'll, I'll, I'll be really frank with you guys here. I am worried about what's happening because what we started to see is that it's not so much what you're saying as far as it's Facebook and all these companies are dominating. I think it's worse than that when Apple and Google are getting into that space as well, because it's getting to a point where it's not just the app that we're worried about now we have to worry about the software and the hardware oh i agree because like with everything that's happened this last week it's like it's big tech yeah. it's all your big tech companies that are coming together banding together just we're unanimously across the board just being like mm, we're done 
we're playing, we're all going to play by these rules. And if you don't want to play by these rules, we will do everything we can to destroy your ability to operate. But, and I mean, to this point with this stuff that you're going, it's like, and also these companies aren't going to go down without a fight. Like if all these things come, that's why they're trying to ban these things because it's like, Hey, we're fueling our competition, our future competition on here. We don't want that happening. So parlor signal. Nope. Can't have that stuff on there. And they're, they're going to starve them and try to hold their dominance. And that's what's scary, right? That now it's not just, you know, free market where we always discuss like, you know, that our disagreement that you want government control, Facebook and all that. And I say, I trust the free market and look at parlor. Look at Signal, all these platforms, even, um, God, man, I forgot the damn name again, Clubhouse, um, even Clubhouse, all these platforms come up and they get huge followings, yeah. right? And they, they can establish a business, they can establish a new trend and all of that. And then Facebook and them, they have to adjust or else they're going to get hammered, right? So that's the free market. Now, the problem is that when you have Apple stepping in and saying, we won't allow you in the app store. Apple and Google. Like, what other platform can you get but, apps but from? That's what I'm saying. Like, so Apple steps in. We don't no longer allow you in the app store. You're done. Anybody that has any Apple products, you can't access those. I don't want to say, but it's it's the C word on politics. If uh, anybody knows what I'm saying, I don't want to actually say it because they read what you say. So, uh, but it's borderline on that kind of type of politics, kind of the China route. So if you know what kind of word I'm leaning towards, um, that's where this is going, where they're controlling what you listen, what you hear, what kind of news you consume. The news has already been biased. Even if you say, Oh, but Fox, Fox is still also Fox is leaning left more and more. I mean, they're, they're, or no further, right? Like they're weird as shit. So like you're starting to get unbiased information aside from like coffee with the Johns, you don't Uh really have an option. You understand? Because now they're starting to get to a point where they are not allowing you to, we have been censored because we put out market updates that have unemployment stats. This is not political. It's just stats. But because of the unemployment, they won't let our posts go anywhere. They won't allow ads to go out. They won't and then, allow And then anything. when we do finally get something paid, they still don't let that still they they go the that reach. far. They take the money, but they limit the reach. And- so, so you're looking at all these things and you're looking at how crazy all of this is getting. All the censorship. Then you have New York City. This is where it gets, uh, where it's crazy. Don't get me wrong. What Trump did was nuts. Um, what Trump did, you know, towards the end, he should have just taken the loss, uh, like a man and set up the Republican party for the next election, but he is a sore loser and he took it like a little child and, you know, created a crazy, well, I, I, that's something that. I always say is like, so, when it comes to like the, the fraud aspect of it and things like whether it's fraud or okay, there was fraud or anything like, like, okay. But that's the, the, they played the game well because now who's going to be president? It's going to be Biden. They control all three houses and stuff like that. Whether you believe or don't believe or you say this was illegal, that was illegal. What happened happened and that was the game. That is the game. I don't think any politics are illegal. Like, I think it's, there's a lot of stuff in there that happens behind back dealings that shouldn't happen. They're like he, The game was played and Trump lost that game because what happened in the election is part of the game. Well, but or, what I'm going at is I was just reinforcing your point of like the, the sore loser aspect of it of like, man, just like game got played and you played it wrong, like set up for the comeback. 
Yeah, but where I'm going at is so beyond that, that, you know, he was a sore loser and all that. You have Mayor Bill de Blasio from New York said Wednesday that New York City will terminate three contracts with the Trump organization that the city has. City Hall will notify the Trump organization that it will be canceling agreements to operate the carousel in Central Park, two skating rinks, and a golf course. The president incited a rebellion against the United States government that killed five people and threatened to derail the constitutional transfer of power, he said. The city of New York has no legal right to end our contract, and if they elect to proceed, they will owe the Trump Organization over $30 million. That was a spokesperson from the Trump Organization. This is nothing more than the political discrimination and attempt to infringe on the First Amendment, and we plan to fight vigorously. My thing is that my point with all this is now you are having local politicians start attacking business owners for their political views. You're starting to be censored. You're being censored. You know, if, um, oh shoot, the article is in here, but Val was showing me an article of like people that were being punished for having posted stuff on their platform, like just, you know, supporting the right, supporting a Republican politician or something like that. They're being punished at the job, the level that they're in, they're being punished all kinds of way just because of their political views. Not even that they did anything wrong. It's just their political views. So when I start seeing that, and I'm not saying that what Trump did was right or wrong. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is that when you have local politicians going after businesses and business owners because of their political views, I think this is starting another trend, another bad trend on what the hell's going to happen with freedom of speech. I think oh, I agree 100% because like you have the politicians reinforcing the big tech company, the, the, their movement to do this stuff to where um, an article I threw in here was uh, Forbes op-ed warns companies that hiring fabulists for Trump administration. This is a quote from that article. Let it be known to the business world. This is from Forbes. Forbes magazine gets a few readers a day, I'd imagine. Let so. it be known to the business world. Hire any Trump Trump's fellow fabulous above, and Forbes will assume that everything your company or firm talks about is a lie. To where Forbes is coming out and saying this, towards like, oh my God, that you're just saying like, hey, you hire anybody, the same thing you're just saying, like because yeah. of who they are, how their political views, what they might believe, you're silenced. Like, okay, so you're going to, alienate the 74 million people or 70, however many it was, how many 70 some odd million people that voted for Trump. Now you're just saying like, you can't hire any of these people because they're bad and you need to hire these people because they're good. And then my God, let's turn the sound off on your computer. Freaking you and your Fox articles with their stupid ads. <laughs> but, uh, and then the, somebody was reviewing that this article, um, and they had a whole double standard aspect of it, like how far this is going yeah. and just saying like canceling anyone who was associated with the Trump, the president Trump is not going to unite the country. This is just the latest example of cancel culture and the great purge that we're seeing come from the left and never Trump Republicans An independent women's forum analyst, Kelsey Bowler said, um, last week, Bowler argued that the media, big tech and corporate America are all in on canceling anyone who is associated with the Trump administration. And like they're saying this Trump administration, but it's also like 
you're saying is that is very small one word apart from Trump supporters yeah. too, to where that's going. And then they give the example to where like, how is this not a double standard? Why is nobody talking about this? Because the media is controlled by the left. So there isn't an organization that can come out and say like, go back four years of 2016 and which direction this stuff was going as like, Nancy Pelosi tweeted that in 2016 election was hijacked and faced no sort of and and faced no sort of repercussions when she tweeted that. But right now, if anybody tweets anything saying, "Hey, the 2020 election was hijacked," boom, shut down, canceling. You can't work for anybody. Like how far that goes? We're like, that is absolutely insane. Where they go over the like the double standard of what happened with the Russia meddling and the hijacking. It's You've got to see that's what it is, but since it's censored so much, you can't. You can't. You can't no. say anything. So they are the cancel culture. Is like, and now they're all banning together, or they're taking everything down. To where one of the articles that I had in here was Instagram's uh, the head of Instagram admits we're not neutral. He says, we're not neutral. Mosire admitted of Facebook, which owns Instagram. No platform is neutral. We all have values and those values influence the decisions we make. We try to be apolitical, he said, but that's increasingly difficult, particularly in the U.S. where people are more and more polarized. And my thoughts on that is it's crazy that they openly admit it, that they're biased and we're not neutral. We do lean to our beliefs. And that's one of the things I talk about, like, Silicon Valley is a very heavily left-leaning liberal environment, and those people are the ones that do design the software that gets put out onto these platforms. Oh, not just design, but even uh, put up the money for getting a, getting people voted in. But it's also like, but what can be done? Okay. And I'm mean, you believe in like the, the kind of free market, and I'd say companies should be willing to do with what they want as a company. As like, but at some point you have to ask like. Man, when you have that much power isolated to one area and one view on how they want to be, and they can eliminate everything else in an instant, is that right? No, a hundred percent. But that—that's what I'm saying. Like, it's getting to a point where now, where this whole thing is going, is the civil unrest that this is going to be causing moving forward. Because you are going to have the people from the right. The people that have been, you know, that feel like their rights are being taken away, that their freedom of speech is being cut down and all of these things, whether right or wrong. I'm not saying, you know, uh, you know, uh, that you should stop them. Shouldn't. I'm just saying, like, you start you start taking an American's rights away. You're going to have an angry American. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that is by anything. The biggest thing I've learned about this country is America an American is entitled to his rights and they protect it with everything they have. So you are threatening to take their rights away. You are threatening to take their first amendment away and all of these things, because there there are some people that are like, Oh, you're still allowed to say whatever you want. Yes, you are in like in theory, the same in like in China, you can say whatever you want. It's just that you're probably not going to see your family anymore. Right. So it's like you're going to disappear forever. That's the problem is that nowadays you got to be careful what you say, because it's going to it could cost you your job. It can it might cost you your credit. Right. You don't know where it's going to get hit. You don't know where you're going to get hit. I mean, the other day, you and I, we were just talking about how I'm no longer going to be doing Facebook ads because of all the censorship and everything. It's like, we're just putting market data out and they're censoring us. We might switch over to YouTube or something. Then all of a sudden I get a notification from Facebook saying, hey, would you like to schedule a phone call with one of our experts? Mind you, it's nearly impossible to get a hold of Facebook. All of a sudden they reached out to me 
Yeah. I was like, I didn't post this anywhere. Like, how do you know this? Oh, there's <laughs> enough know? microphones rolling around this place. You guys for quite some yeah, there's time. enough articles rolling around this or audio devices rolling around. Like, right. That's probably how they know. So, so you're coming up with Signal. You're coming up with, I think Telegram was another app. You're coming up with all these things because people feel their privacies are being invaded. That everything is being used against them. They have no more freedom of speech. They can't, you know, say anything without looking over their shoulder. People are feeling this way. It keeps people on edge. Yeah. And then if you keep the government shut down, if you keep businesses shut down, you if people are hurting financially. You start adding all these things together, it creates for a very unstable well, and, uh, environment. And and I agree. And it's one of the things that I think about, like. Hey, what is Trump going to do next? It's like, he's a billionaire in himself to where like, if he, and obviously he feels very undone or unjust of like what all happened and why he got voted on, how everyone's just been against him. Like he has resources. He has a business mindset to where like, is he going to create a movement and try to bring up some companies along with that? Cause now another thing is you got the, the golden child of the U S technology company of Elon Musk. Like he moved to Texas and is moving companies and building and developing here, leaving some of those places. Nor he put out uh, a tweet and quoted, and this is a quote from him. A lot of people are going to be super unhappy with West Coast high tech as the de facto arbiter of free speech. It's like this is in reply to a satirical article entitled Evil, Evil Fascist Dictator Censored and Voted Out of Office talking about Trump. And it's like... Yeah. That's insane that you got Elon Musk, who's a billionaire in himself, being like, ooh, this is uh, getting crazy, to where he's like taking swipes at Zuckerberg for um, the social media app, to where it's like an app, because he didn't call out Facebook, but he called what Facebook originally was. It was an app to date the hotness of people on your college campus. And it was a domino effect all the way from little domino, just creating this little app to this huge thing that controls society now. And then he comes at uh, Amazon too. He tweeted out, it's time to break up Amazon and added that monopolies are wrong because a book got put out about the coronavirus and Amazon said, nope, I'm not going to distribute that and canceled the book or that they couldn't go against an uh, opinion the other direction. But I think he's like, yeah, he's right. Like there's going to be a lot of people and there are a lot of people and how far that's going to go yet to be determined about being unhappy that West Coast high tech is the de facto arbiter of free speech. My thing is like, you know, they say they want to control like negativity. They want to control all that stuff. To not, you know, to not have all these snowflakes get triggered. Um, my thing is like, then shut the news off. How many times do you turn on the news of people being killed, murdered, raped, uh, you know, molested, all these things constantly on the news? Yeah. How is that okay? I mean, if we're going to talk about, you know, happy dreams and unicorns, like, it should be across the board. You know, not just things that have to do with, you know, your everyday life that actually affects all Americans. And I think that's what it is. They're like, yeah, that person getting murdered, that's kind of their problem they got murdered right doesn't affect the rest of america so then it's like it's getting to a point well, well not even that but you know the the right is being censored but then i saw a lot of tweets and comments of hang mike pence all of those were okay you're literally saying to hang and kill a vice, vice president. president and that's okay you can say that that's fine so to me it's but you like, can't say you can't there was have, fraud yeah yeah you definitely can't say those words um, 
So if we get censored at any point, which we've been getting, uh, just know that we do have a website and all we will continue on on our website until they shut down the internet. Um, but that being said, I mean, you, you go that far and it's like, if you're going to censor one side or let's call it hate speech or whatever, you got to censor the other, right? You got to make it equal, but that's not what's happening. Well, that's what I'm saying. They're against hate speech. They're against one side of speech. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. They're here. They're going to get fed up with high tech being the de facto arbitrator of free speech. That's exactly to that. What you just said is to that point that it's like, Hey, you can do this but not this. It's okay to say this, but not that, even though this, when you talk about a violence level is significantly different Yeah. and then just canceling anybody that comes up from the other direction and just saying, Oh, we're going to cut this. You have no more web hosting services and they're so big and so powerful. It's That's like, nuts. where do you go? Yeah. Like where else do you go? And then I guarantee they're not wherever they, I'm sure they will find another place to go, but it's going to be at a much higher cost more than likely because Amazon can write off losses in some of these other areas because they have other business platforms that can subsidize the losses. Yeah. So that is something that I think is going to be dangerous. And it's going to be interesting to see where everything goes. In the, uh, yeah. So, first. I mean, for sure, we've uh, covered a lot of topics. We've covered a lot on real estate this, uh, this episode. So make sure to rewind, rewatch. Uh, there are a lot of opportunities as tough as it may look like right now. Um, as crazy as it is and all that, just keep in mind that there's always opportunities and there's always going to be people making money and, and being able to do this stuff. So make sure that you're not sticking your head in the ground just because you don't like what you're seeing, because you will be the one that gets affected by that. You understand? Like everybody else is still going to be doing their thing. Everybody else is still going to be making money. And while you're putting your foot down on how hurt you are emotionally, um, it's not going to help you. You know, it's not going to get you anywhere. It's not going to do anything for you. And you need to look out for yourself. Um, at this point, like I said, there, there are opportunities, hoteling, buy and hold. If you're a money lender, you got to be careful. Uh, if you're a fix and flipper, you have to be careful. You have to be cautious with what's going on. But all said and done, I mean, look at where the market is. And take it for what it is and make sure you, you know, you keep I mean, joining the, uh, us every, you said, every Friday as we keep bringing you more headlines. Well, it's the same to keep that in mind. The pay and yeah, it's unfair and they're censoring me. And what are you going to do about it? Exactly. It's like you have to, you can't just sit here and just be like, well, it's gonna be thumps. you have to put motivation. You have to put work behind it. You have to figure out how it does work and play within the rules. We keep your nose of the grindstone and don't get too focused on one thing. Look at the other side and look at other positions, ask other people, have debates, listen in to other people and what their thoughts are and things, ask questions sure. to keep a spectrum of influence of your decision making. Not just be it's only one way and that's the only way. Yeah, you have to be able to think for yourself. I mean that that's really the bottom line to all of this. You gotta be able to think for yourself. You gotta be able to make up your own mind. Um and that involves you looking at both sides, understanding both sides, and seeing what is the best thing for you. And the truth always lies somewhere in the middle. So I uh, hope you guys are enjoying this. I hope you guys, you know, got a lot of value. If you did, hit that like button. Give us some support. Give us some love. Uh, and share this. Share this with your friends. Share this with other people. We feel that a lot of people need to be hearing this. So they protect their investments and they protect themselves. Uh, and we are. We'll be back every Friday, 8 a.m. Central Standard Time, bringing you the hottest trends, topics, 
everything that's going on to help uh help you and your investing and your life and your family so hope you guys stay tuned thank you for watching and we'll catch you next week